Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Join us today as we explore the Word, giving insightful solutions for day-to-day living. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. Good morning. morning. So he's right. Where I'm coming from or where I'm living at, it's 75 degrees there right now. And I'm hoping to get back there soon. Because I'm cold. I don't know about you. You guys are like, this is nothing. We can run around in shorts. Not me. I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to be down, down, down south where it is nice and warm. And you could probably still go to the beach a little bit. So that's where we're heading. Well, good morning. I'm glad you guys are with us. If you have your Bibles, please open up to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. I pray that you had a great Christmas. Mine was wonderful. Uh, I just want to tell you one thing. You know, uh, Kevin says, or Pastor Kevin says a lot of good things. I am who I am because of what he did in my life. He has really taken me to an incredible place of being brand new in the faith to being who I am standing before you today. And on top of that, I also have to introduce probably one of the people in my life who is one of the most influential people, and that's my wife, one of the most beautiful ladies. Guys, you can't do half of what you can do without your wives. Just saying. So I do what I do because of the support and the love that I get from her. So good morning, good afternoon, or actually Merry Christmas, things like that. A couple of days from now, New Year's is coming. New Year's is one of those times, this is the time of year where we're kind of like, some of you guys are like, thank God 2014 is over. You know, some of you may have gone through a really tough year and you're like looking forward to the new year. 2015's coming. You know, this is the year where we're like, yeah, new things, new, new things are going on. And one of the things that we do in every year is to what? Make New Year's resolutions. And everybody, not everybody, but a good bit of people make those. And one of the top resolutions that we make is what? I'm going to the gym. I got to lose all that Christmas weight, all the Christmas cookies, all the, all the ham and everything else. We got to go to the gym. And you know what? Exercise is good. Okay, I'm not going to ever say it's not good, but exercise is very good. And if you've been around, exercise has been around for a long time. If you remember years and years ago, Richard Simmons with sweating to the oldies. Remember him? Come on, people, let's get up. And he's wearing things and never should have been on TV. <laughs> just saying. And then there's the PX90 or P90X. And that guy just looks insane. And I don't even want to try that. I think I'm going to hurt myself. And now he's got to think, what is that? P90X2, the Insanity 90X or something? Uh, these, these things are just insane in CrossFit. And, there, and there's a big push during this time of year to start working out, getting in shape, because we start thinking healthier, new life, new turning over. Well, one of the things is there's an overused word, but an underused or underdeveloped thing, and that's called your core. Everybody, everybody talks about it. You got to work on your core. You got to work on your core. But the problem is, or, or the truth is, is that everybody says it, but nobody wants to do it because it's hard to work on your core. And let me just give you, what is your core? In exercise, it's from your knees to your, uh, to right up to your armpits. It's this trunk. Well, here's the thing. If you are an athlete, which I am not, if you're an athlete, what that does is that helps you coordinate, helps you stabilize and those things. If you're like me, who is not an athlete, it helps you get out of the car and not hurt yourself. <laughs> 
<laughs> but the thing is, is that we all have a core. But did you know that God oftentimes, not only do we have a physical core, but God parallels that with a spiritual core. And that we have to work not only do we get healthy emotionally, mentally, and those things, but God wants you to be healthy spiritually. And we've got to work on our spiritual core. But here's the, here's the thing with this, is that if our spiritual core is weak, I don't know if it's 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 20 years, 25 years, your entire life will implode on itself if you have a weak core, a weak relationship with God. So you have to continually working on this thing inside of us. Let's look at the scripture. It's, it should be on, this one should be on your talk notes. It says, 1 Timothy 4.8 For bodily exercise profits a little. He's not, he says, you know what? It's good to work out. It's good to become healthy. But listen to this. He says this. He says, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that is now is and of that which is to come. So he, he's really kind of saying, you know what, you can exercise, that's good, but there's something else that we need to work on, and that's our spiritual side. That's our godliness. That's our spiritual core. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm around talking with people, there's a lot of people that like to hide from the wickedness of this world and isolate themselves and never actually be part of the world because they're afraid that the world may overcome you or you may lose to it. The truth is, is when I read the Bible in Romans 8, it says you're what? More than conquerors through Christ Jesus. And if you're more than a conqueror through through Christ Jesus, then why are Christians trying to isolate themselves from the rest of the world? Shouldn't we be the ones that are overcoming the evil things of this world, not being afraid of them? I'm just, you know what I'm saying? But we hide and we isolate because we're afraid to catch something. But in the truth of the matter is, is that when we read the Bible, God is trying to free you from things. When he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. So therefore, we get freedom, right? And I don't know about you, but not all of us feel those things. I mean, I'm not as free as I know I can be. Why is that? Because I'm continually trying to strengthen my core. What's at the core of who I am? What's at my core of my relationship? What's at the core of, of what God's trying to do in my life? Are you tracking with me so far? Because here's the deal. Because the stronger your core is, the more free you are. The stronger your relationship is, the more free you are. I, I, your pastor has probably said this a hundred times. It's not about how you start, it's about how you finish. Because everybody wants to start well, if you really think about it. The, everybody during this time of the year joins the gym for a whole month. And then at the end of the month, they've got a gym membership they're paying for that they never use. And then next year, you're like, I want a new gym because that gym wasn't any good. But the, whole, the truth of the matter is, is you've only been there twice. We need to be able to work on that core because it's what's inside of us. It's what God's trying to do. Here's the thing. Everybody in here, everybody at some point wants to change the world, right? We, we get these grandeur ideas. We want to change the world. But the problem is, is we don't want to change ourselves. Because the deal is, is God is not interested in you changing the world. And I'm going to relieve some tension and some pressure. Jesus' job is to change the dynamic of this world. Not yours. Not mine. It's his job. It's our job to just be faithful. And our job to stick to what he's telling us. And that we can finish well and be faithful to what he said. And how do we do that? Well, we build our core. We build what's inside of us. We build that relationship. And the saddest part is, is that so many start, but so, many, so few finish. So few finish. And I don't know about you, but I, I like to see good finishers because that's the time to celebrate. I want to be one that finishes. And I hope that you and I can finish together. There are two cores and two questions I'm going to give you guys. And they should be on your talk notes. Uh, two core and two questions. The first core is that we need to be working on is love. The first core that we're going to work on is love. 
Now, when we read the Bible, we read John 3.16. What it says, for God's what? So loved the world that he gave his only son, so that the world not be condemned, but be saved through him. God so loved the world. It was based on love. 1 Corinthians, Paul uh, 13 and 14 says this. It says, you know, you can do all these things. You can prophesy. You can do all these things. But if you don't have love, you have what? You have nothing. Right? So, and then, and then the, John says this. Actually, First uh, John 4, 8 says this. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. We follow in so far? And, and even go a little further. John 13, 35 says this. The world is going to know you not by the way you pray. Not by the way you give. Not by even how good you look. The world knows you by your love. So if the world puts such an emphasis, or the Bible puts such an emphasis on love, then isn't that something that we should develop in our lives more? Don't you think that would be a core of what, uh, what we should be wrapped around? If the Bible focuses on this, then why don't we focus on this? Yeah, I asked you to open to Matthew 22. Uh, let's read this, starting in verse 36. It says this, it says, Jesus is speaking here, and it says, uh, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Here's what Jesus said. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. That This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as your Self. You should love your neighbor as yourself. I love this because what he did, I, and you may or may not realize this, in the Old Testament there are 613 ceremonial laws. Did you know that? In order to get close to God, in order to be following the righteousness of God, you had to follow 613 laws. I can barely remember to do five things in a row, let alone 600. I don't know about you. Maybe you're better than I am. I don't think I'm that good. But the deal is, is he brought all 600 things down into two statements. Love God with everything you have and then love your neighbor. Isn't that something? I like the succinct. I like the, 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 those type of things. Because what, what is happening though, and here's the thing. If God brought these two things down, love God with everything you got, love your neighbor as yourself, then why are Christians so bad at it? Why are we as a people so bad at it? Why is it when we go in the world, everybody is telling, or we go outside into our communities, not even just the world, in our communities, why is it they're, say, they're saying, oh, here comes the Christians, we don't really want to be around them. And you don't believe me? Ask a waiter, ask the waitress. Because the waiters and waitress, the one thing they say is Christians are the worst people that come into their restaurants. They're the worst tippers and the rudest. Yeah. Ain't that something? So why is it? Why is it that we're people who are marked by love are some of the most mean-hearted and critical people? And if, isn't there a disconnect? Are you, are you tracking with me here? Because I, the last time I checked that the Bible tells us that we were known by our love and we should be working on that. You know what separates us really? I mean, we, we, we have all these other religions out there and there's we pray, they pray. Okay? We give, they give. And you know what's funny? They go to the restaurants and they're nice and we go to the restaurants and we're criticized because of how not nice we are. But what separates us is love. It's Christ. And if that separates us, then shouldn't we start operating and being at a deeper level of love in there? And, and what, what really bothers, I, I think, God himself is we have so many people that you'll come in here to a service or if you've been to other churches or something and you see people, they're praying, they're worshiping, they're screaming, they're shouting and you're like, man, snot and all that stuff. You're like, man, that guy's touching God. Either they're touching God or something's wrong with them. I mean, you say that, we see these things and are so excited to be touching God and then they go and they criticize their wives. 
Or, or are they going they, and, they, and, they're, and they're mean to their children? Or, 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 they're, or they're mean to somebody else? And listen to what 1 John says. 1 John 4.20 says this. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. That's, that's the word. So you can't be mad at me. So afterwards you can hug me. Okay? So he says he's a liar. For who does not love his brother whom he has seen? How can he love a God who he has not seen? If we're in here and we're worshiping with everything we've got and then we're out being mean to the people and we're out being mean to our spouses and we're out criticizing, being judgmental, then we're actually living a lie and our worship is, is, is just worthless. Our worship is worthless. And I don't know about you, but I don't think any of you guys ever want to hear just that, that what you just did to connect with God was worthless. I mean, the Pharisees were people that connected with God, but they never connected with the people. They loved God, but they didn't love people. And you saw how mean and critical they were. And if we really think about it, if we really thought about it, how many of us would say we're the same? We don't want to admit that, but there's a truth there. Jesus tells the story. He says, love God, love people. He tells it in the context of the story of the Good Good Samaritan. Now, the Good Samaritan, if you remember the story, some of you guys may or may not. uh, The Good Samaritan, there was a guy, and I'm going to bring it up in a little bit of language of today. A guy walking down the road, and he gets mugged. Guy gets beaten, robbed, and kicked in a ditch. And then all of a sudden, there's, there's, a, there's a priest coming. And that would be like a pastor. There would be a priest, a leader of the church comes. And he sees this guy in the thing. And he says, you know, uh, I got stuff to do with the church. I got stuff to do with the temple. I'm not going to do anything there. He keeps on walking. Then you got the Levite who is like a minister. So if you're on one of the worship, not worship teams, one on the ministry teams here. It's kind of like a Levite, a builder of the temple, things like that. Does that, says kind of the same thing. I got stuff to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jet. And then all of a sudden, here comes this guy. And he's a, he's a Samaritan. Now, I don't know if you know anything about the Samaritans. The Jews absolutely hated the Samaritans. Because the, the Samaritans were half Jewish and half Gentile. Which means they're much more... The, I'm sorry. The Jews didn't like them because they weren't full Jew. So they actually absolutely hated them. And they would go around Samaria because they refused to go through it. And here's an, one of the most hated people in the first century. And he comes up and he, and he doesn't think, there's my enemy. He doesn't think, there's, a, there's somebody I hate because he hated me. He says, you know what? This guy needs help. And if I don't help him, he's going to die. And he, and, he, and he picks him up. He bandages him. He puts him on his donkey, his, his horse. Sends him to the inn. Pays for the stay. And said he'll take care of any debts. And you know, I learned two things from just reading this. The first thing I learned is this, is that if you're a religious person, if you're somebody who is more in love with God and you can't stand people or you can't be with people, you hate people, you know, like the Pharisees, if we tend to be more Pharisee, that people who are religious will use God as an excuse not to do the things God asks you to do. You see what I'm saying? These guys come up and and the most loving thing to do was to help this person. And he's saying they're using God as an excuse not to help what God is telling them to do. I'm going to tell you, if you're going to build a core of love, it's messy. And last time I ever checked, the Bible doesn't tell me to love only people that are easy to love. The Bible tells me that, that I've got to love the unlovely. I've got to love people that are broken. I've got to love people that are just messed up. And it's messy. And it's going to cause you to get your hands dirty. Because if you're anywhere where I used to be, you, you, you're somebody who was very broken, very emotionally damaged. You're a messy person. I'm a messy person. But you know what? Love means I look past the messiness. And then I get in there and I'm just going to help what I need to help and love God like God asked me to love. And then the other thing I learned from the Samaritan is that love is no respecter of persons. It 
doesn't matter because he looked at this guy and he didn't think my enemy like I was saying. He said, you know what? The most loving thing to do is to help this guy, bandage him up and make sure he's okay. Where we go wrong though, where we have our issues is we sit there and we say, we say, we, we critically check the, 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 the whole situation out. We say, okay, based on this, this, and this, or I'm not going to do this, or I'm going to do this. Or we judge the situation. That ah, served him right. He probably did something wrong. When the truth is, is that the most loving thing to do is quit trying to judge the situation and help the person. Who, I mean, one of the big things, and and this frustrates me, and and one of the most loving things, I don't want to give to that homeless person because he may buy drugs with it. I don't want to give to the homeless person because he may go out, he may go drink with it. You know what? He may. But does that ever take our opportunity to be loving, to show Christ? Is that we stop based on what we think they're going to do? Because you and I may have a perception. Our perception may be completely wrong. You got to understand that because sometimes we don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear that we're wrong. Truth is, do we know that he may do that? Yeah, but you know what? That may be also the only meal he got that week. Just be loving. Let's be loving. And we're not very loving. You know, when I was growing up, I was through a lot of abuse. I was through a lot of stuff in my life. And it's very hard to be loving because I didn't like myself. How can we love others when we don't even like ourselves? You look in the mirror, what do you see and what are you criticizing? You're so critical of others because you're criticizing yourself and you don't even realize it. But the truth of the matter is, is if we really want to love others, we've got to first love us. You've got to be able to look in the mirror and say, you know what, the person I see, I'm okay with. I like that guy. I like that girl. Because God doesn't make junk. You're not, let me, let me say it again, God doesn't make junk. You're not junk. You're, you're who God made you to be and you're continually working towards where God wants you. You're loved. And if God loves you with that much love, then why do we look at ourselves and say, you're awful, you're evil, you're disgusting, look at how much weight you gain, look how ugly you are, look at, the, why do we do that? God didn't make junk. Learn to love ourselves so that we can love others. Here's the thing. C.S. Lewis says this in Mere Christianity. He said, do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor as, but act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find himself disliking, you'll find yourself disliking him less. Let me break it down in one statement. Your emotions follow your actions. If you don't like somebody, if you don't love somebody, act as if you did and eventually you will. I, don't, don't argue it, don't fight with it, but try it. I challenge you in this. If you don't like somebody, act as if you did. And eventually it'll start feeling that way. You'll start feeling the love. And I'm going to tell you, the more you love others, the more you feel and the more you act in the love, the more experience of love from God that you get. It's reciprocal. You can never get more love of God if you have less love of people. You've got to have that cycle. The more you love people, the more you'll experience God's love. The more you experience God's love, the more you love people. You tracking with me? That's the first core. Second core is this, is Christ's likeness. If, if, we, if the first thing we've got to develop in our lives is, is being more loving, the second thing that we've got to develop in our lives is being more like Christ. We've got to be more like Christ. Even Christians mean little Christ. If you, if you call yourself a Christian, it means little Christ. We've got to be more like Christ. Let me read this for you. It says this. It says in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 16-18. 
But whether someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When you give your life to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is spirit, and wherever the spirit is, there is freedom. There's more of that freedom stuff that God promises us. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is spirit, now here's, here's the, 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 the thing, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. More and more like him. Now, a lot of times, in a lot of sermons or things I hear, and I know your pastor does a really good job with this, we usually talk about how the Bible talks to be practical in our lives and what we do and those things, but when we read the Bible, it says, you know what, the best thing that we can do is be more like Christ and everything else will start to work out. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Paul says this, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know, I, and I got to give you this little thing, it's not telling you all should go walking around with togas and beards and preaching you're the way, the truth, and the life, that's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is he's saying, you know, put on Christ, put on his emotions, his attitudes, his mind, his actions, all of those things because as you do, your life will be able to be in line with God. We're putting on those things, but you know what we do? We put on the externals of Christianity and not the internals. We want to pray, we want to preach, we want to fast, we want to do all of these things which are external factors. And But God in the Bible tells us to put that God is the worker of the inside out. So he's not worried about you and how good your prayer life is. He's worried about how good your heart is. Okay, you hear this? Because the deal is with this is the fact is, is that you can look like you pray. You can look like you fast. And maybe you fast for 40 days and you're like glowing in the dark. I don't know. But the deal is, is that everything flows from you, not just about what you do. Christ didn't have to make it up. Christ didn't go around and say, today I'm going to pray 10 minutes to my God, my Father. He didn't go up and say, today I'm going to read 40 pages. He didn't do any of that. You know what it was? He did that because of who he was, not because of just what he did. It flowed. And when you start becoming more like Christ, when you start getting into these places, you realize that this stuff just begins to flow out of you. It becomes natural. It becomes second nature. Because your relationship once with God and that, that love begins to push out other things such as prayer. Your prayer life becomes more dynamic. Your, your fasting becomes more real. All of that stuff. Why? Because of that love. Because of that being like Christ. Are you tracking so far? Are we good? Still with me? Um, you know, and oftentimes we focus on the wrong things. And I know your pastor would probably never say this, but the truth is, is there was a time when we first, eight years ago, nine years ago, when I first met him, that I'm sure he wanted to slap me sometimes. Because I came in, I was brand new in the faith. I mean, when I met him, I was only saved, gave my life to Jesus for about six months. And then I met him, something like that. And, and the deal is, is I came in there and I, for like a long time, I was like, what am I? Am I a preacher? Am I a pastor? Am I an evangelist? Am I this and this? And I kept going off and off and off. And God, Kevin, tell me what I am. Tell me what I am. And I kept driving him nuts. And then years later, I got, a, I got an idea and I said, you know what, God? I'm going to ask you. Because you know what? He's, he should know, right? Well, don't, don't clap yet. I want, I want to tell you something. I'll, you clap in a second because here's the deal. I said, God, what do you think I am? What are you? Hold on, hold on. Not, not, not yet. Watch, watch. This is exciting. You know what he said to me? He, said, he spoke to my heart. He said this. He said, you are my son. That should be good enough. Now you can clap. <laughs> Because I was so focused on being something to feel like I was doing something right. 
And God was saying, you know what? Don't worry about what you're supposed to do. Worry about who you are and that's to be like my son. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? And that's really what it is. Well, how do you do this? Well, let me read this one scripture. Um, I call it practical denial. How do you get to be more Christ-like? It's practical denial. Luke 9, 23. Then Jesus said to the crowd, If any one of you wants to be my follower, he must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. One of the things is, is one of the, the versions says, deny yourself. The deal is, is this. I call it practical denial. Why? Because there are things in this life, if you want to be more like Christ, there are things in your life that you have to begin to deny yourself. I'm not a preacher that says, this is what you're doing right, this is what you're doing wrong. The Bible says all of that. The Holy Spirit is a good preacher. He's a better preacher than I am. Okay? Better convictor. But the deal is, is there is a, there's a whole thing in the Bible that says, these are the things you need to stop doing. If you want the fullness of God in your life, if you want to be more like Christ, there is a whole bunch of things that this says, stop doing. But you know what? I also like the other side of the Bible, because I think we oftentimes don't give a full picture. The other side of the Bible says, if you need to stop this, then you need to start doing this. Okay? So we need both sides. There are things in your life that you need to stop doing and deny yourself. And one of the things is denying your selfish ways. My selfish ways, because sometimes we can be very selfish people. And we, we would sacrifice others' joy just to make ourselves feel okay about ourselves. So we need to sacrifice those things. And then we need to realize that there are things that you are doing right. When, when we're praying and when we're going in and when we're trying to be more loving. And some of us, it's a challenge, but we're trying to do these things. Celebrate those things with God because you're walking in the right direction. Celebrate those things. Because there are things that you need to do. And there are, th- there are things you need to stop doing and there are things that you need to start doing. You with me so far? Because here's the deal. Uh, Galatians 2.20. Because Paul, I opened up with this little section that said, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Here's the caveat. Here's the thing. It says, verse 20 in Galatians, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The deal is, guys, God has given yourself for it. And the goal is that we live our life for Christ. That we're crucified with Christ. We're living in a state of practical denial. I was talking to, a, give you a little encouragement, a little freedom here. I was talking to a guy that I led to the Lord. Very atheistic. Actually, months and months ago told me, he looked at me in the face and he said, You know what? I'll never believe in God. This is all a myth and a fairy tale. I said, Okay. I didn't argue. Spent time with him. Shared the word with him. Just lived my faith out in front of him. And we sat down at Chipotle. And uh, he asked me, he said this, and it's a really beautiful question. He says, if I give my life to Jesus, will I stop being who I am? I asked something. That's a good question. I said, no. God made you who you are. You're not, you're not going to stop being who you are. The deal is, is that when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become the best, best version of you. Do you hear that? You become the best version of you. You become all that God has, has put aside for you in this life is who you become. So you're not going to lose who you are, but you're going to gain everything else. Do you see that? So, so don't be afraid of this. Uh, I'll tell you this, and then I'm going to give you two questions that you, that you challenge you with. The deal is, is when you look at this, the, the training that we go through, building our core, you, many people will, will go into this year and spend hundreds of dollars on a gym membership. Hundreds of dollars for something you may never even use but once. And it looks good. You might as well put it on a shelf, right? The deal is, is that the membership into the house of God is free. Yeah. And 
he paid it all on the cross. When he went to the cross, he said, it is finished. It's all been paid. You are free. It is freed for this membership. Now, you'll have to work in building your core and work in doing things, but guess what? It's free. When we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, there is nothing else that needs to be paid. Nothing else. That's a good deal. I don't know. You know a better deal? Because uh, he paid it all. So then I can come into his, the relationship, be the best that, that God has ever said that I can be with his help, become more healthy, build that core so in 25 years from now, I'm not imploding. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to look back 25 years from now and say, man, my life was an absolute mess because I didn't follow and I didn't, fo- and I didn't build that relationship with God. Let me give you two questions and I'm going to finish. Because these are good good evaluation questions for you. And good challenge questions. The first question is this. It says, where is your focus? Where is your focus? Because when we look at this, Mike Murdoch says this. The reason men fail is because of broken focus. The reason you fail is because your focus is broken. All the greatest inventions in this world, all the greatest things in this world is because we have, they had streamlined focus. Years ago, about two years ago, I weighed 235 pounds. I said, you know what, the doctor said you need to be about 188 or less. Two years later, and of course all sorts of stuff, I'm at 190 today. It's focus. Because here's what the, de- the devil likes to do. And you know the devil, the enemy, the Lucifer, the guy who's, who's going to steal, kill, and destroy everything that you have. Uh, he wants nothing more than to break your focus. He wants to break your focus. Because he knows a Christian who has a broken focus will never reach the full potential that God has for them. So we've got to focus. We've got to find your focus. I understand lack of focus. Believe me. Because I'm that guy who says, dear father, oh look a bird. <laughs> Or when I'm in worship sometimes and I, and I have to repent because I feel bad. I'm, I'm worshiping. I'm like, God, thank you. And I've got a whole to-do list for the next three months made in my head. I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe that's you. But I, I do that sometimes and my mind's all over the place. But it's time to start learning to focus. The second question is this. And I think this is a very powerful one because it's going to cause you to look at yourself and your heart. It says, what's holding you back? What's holding you back? Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe there's somebody that you need to forgive that you've never forgiven. And you know that to walk into a greater dimension with God that you've got to forgive this person. Maybe it's just something as simple as actually opening up your Bible and learning to read it or or engaging it. Because the Bible was never meant to be read. It was meant to be engaged. Okay, it's not black, black letters on a white page. It's a living, breathing extension of, God's, of God, his, his words. And it's meant to be engaged. You hear what I'm saying? And so we got to find out what is holding you back today. What is holding you back? Because uh, sometimes a good thing will hold you back. Now TV's not bad, but an overindulgence of TV is very bad. I don't care if you like 50 shows. TV them and watch them for the next year. They still do TiVo, right? <laughs> DVRs. <laughs> but the deal is, is that even good things in your life can hold you back. Even good things in your life. So my challenge is today, as we go into worship, and I'm going to leave you with a scripture. Learn to build your core. Learn to be more loving. Learn to be more Christ-like. But during worship today, ask God, ask the Holy Spirit, who is forever faithful, to say, God, where is my focus? And God, what is holding you, me back from you? What is holding me back from you? Let me read the scripture. 1 Corinthians 9.24 Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. 
Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Guys, you're in it to win it. Run this race to win. To get the crown, to get the prize, which is everlasting life with Jesus Christ. If you'll stand with me as we worship. Again, the challenge. God, where is my focus? And God, what's holding me back?